to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, yet didn't want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. What is conceived in her is of the spirit. She will give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus, and he will save the people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he didn't consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. When I slow this story way down and kind of turn it inside out and listen to the stories with my heart, it becomes very human. I can feel it here in this line. She was found to be pregnant. There's this passive tense, right? She was found, which implies there was a time she was trying to hide her belly, trying to pretend that things were normal. Can you imagine the anxiety of that? The anxiety of she was carrying around about being found out. And then there's Joseph. Can you imagine him finding out? Can you imagine his feelings of disappointment and betrayal? I wonder who told him. Was it Mary? Was it somebody else? Did she try to tell him about the angel? How did he react? And then there's this conflicted inner world, right? He wants to follow the law and do the right thing, but he feels compassion towards her. Doesn't want her to be shamed or stoned. I say this because from within the story, while these events are unfolding, for Joseph, this situation in which we look upon as a holy story didn't feel holy. It didn't feel of God. In fact, it appeared the opposite. There was this veneer of what seemed like moral failure. It felt like betrayal. It felt like this deep disappointment and confusion. There's like so much rawness and vulnerability and uncomfortable emotions that were in between the two of them. Must have been like having the carpet ripped out from underneath you. So just let us notice that the subtle butterfly movements of the son of God within his life probably felt like death, like shame and fear and disappointment and betrayal. But later in the story, these new sets of emotions emerge, right? Like, so while he's sleeping, this angel comes to him and weaves for him a new narrative, this thing that's dismayed you, God is present in it. It's this child's from God take this child, love this child. His name will be Jesus. And I imagined him groggily waking up from sleep and remembering the dream and kind of walking around dazed and confused while he's brewing the coffee or, you know, whatever you drank back then in the morning. And I imagine him slowly coming to this decision, choosing in faith to believe that this dream was real. And I imagine the wash of resolve and then the humility and strength of going to Mary and saying, I I will be your husband. I will adopt this child. I imagine her relief. He's given her sanctuary. He's given her safety. 
It's all so human. It's all so holy. I've invited trees to come and share a moment from their family tree, a moment where they too experienced something very human and very holy, something not planned, but that they showed up for with grace and love. So like all good stories, um, you have to begin with a setting. So this is our setting of this story. Uh, 21 years ago, it's 21 years ago, and uh, we have four sons. The last one who was 19 at the time had just graduated from high school in a small private school here in uh, White Rock. Uh, Brian and I had been attending that church since we got married. We were firmly rooted in that community. Brian was teaching at a local high school, and I was on staff at this church. I'd been there for 13 years. And we were just so connected to the church. We loved that church. We lo I loved the staff. Um, so, But what it meant that I was showing up at this place six days a week, which sounds like a little much, but that's that was our life, and we we loved it. So our youngest son had graduated the year before, June before, and he uh, had gone on a little backpacking trip around Australia and then come home and was going to school, was going to start his education and continue his journey. Then they came to us, he and his girlfriend came to us and said, we're pregnant. So it was kind of a shock and to say the least. And our first thoughts, I think, as a family were, how is this crushing weight and responsibility going to change their lives forever? How are they going to manage it? They're so young. There are so many things that they don't even know are going to come to bear in their life. And what, what's going to happen? And then I have to say that to my deep shame, my next more pressing thoughts were, how is this going to affect me? What's it going to be like for me to walk into that building six days a week? What are people, then you get in your head, what are people going to be saying about me? What, what's going to happen? I, we didn't know. There was so much uncertainty. I had so much anxiety, so much fear. And like I said, to my own shame, I had my own shame about it. I do have to say that the reception we got from the people that we loved in the church and our friends was nothing but kind and compassionate. I don't know what went on behind the scenes, but I just know my experience, our experience as a family was nothing but grace and love and compassion. And that was, that was uh, beautiful. Um, it felt to me like this was gonna be a very public walking out of something that was within our family that would have been preferred to keep, you know, private and, but it was just impossible in the situation. So then, then about a month later, they broke up and another, okay, what does this look like now? Like, do we even have a place here as a family? What is our role going to be? What's, there was so much uncertainty and so much anxiety and just unknown. And yet this was going to be our first grandchild. So how do we navigate this? Did I have a place in it? What's this going to look like? And then I say, and then God, God dropped this invitation in my heart. And I knew it was God because it was something I was just not comfortable doing. I just was so fearful and anxious about it. 
And this was the idea that unfolded in my heart that I would invite this, this, our, our son's ex-girlfriend who is now pregnant with our first grandchild um, out for lunch and not knowing what kind of reception I was going to get, just say, well, whatever, whatever ends up happening, um, this is our grandchild. And we would love to be part of this little baby's life. We want him or her in our lives. We, we ache for that, but we know that it's up to you. Um, so my invitation to you is, can we, if you are acceptable, if you, if you agree, can we go out after lunch and buy like a little pack and play little cot to have at our house? So there would always be a place in our home for this baby. I didn't know what she was going to say. She was, um, but you got to think back 21 years ago, we're in this, you know, church setting. She had pink and black hair. She had tattoos and piercings way outside of anything that I was comfortable with or knew about. Um, now that doesn't seem so alternative, but back then it was. What I, what I soon grew to learn about her was that underneath all that, there was the tenderest heart you could imagine who cried at the pain of others at the drop of a hat. She's, she's just a crier. So she, I didn't even realize this this time because I was so focused on myself. I couldn't even put myself in her shoes. She was terrified by the, this invitation. What is this? What is this Christian woman who has always stood by, you know, a strong, well, what is she going to say to me? Um, but she accepted my invitation and we went out and we bought a little playpen for this baby to come be in our house. And then our amazing loving, wonderful grandson was born. And uh, I was at the hospital when he was born. I will never forget holding him for the first time. And I don't know if it was because of all this undercurrent of uncertainty that was rolling through the story to this point, but I experienced a moment with him that I have never experienced before, even with the, the birth of my own four children. When I looked into his eyes, there was something there and probably the story of pain and uncertainty added to that. But partly, it's, it's partly the joy of being a grandparent. You get to have the baby without going through the labor, which is kind of amazing. So um, there's a lot more to the story. And, you know, there's all kinds of little twists and turns. But I just wanted to share this part of it that was just so fraught with anxiety and uncertainty and fear. Thank you so much, Chisek. Can I give you a hug before you run off? <laughs> Chisa has a family event and we basically leave now. So <laughs> uh, I'm, thank you for saying yes, Teresa, to my. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thank you for that. Thank you for sharing that so, so much and for saying yes to me asking at like the ninth hour, because often my best ideas come late, <laughs> as anybody who works with me knows. So Mary's pregnancy, it hadn't been Joseph's desired outcome. And in the beginning, he felt disappointed. He felt betrayed. His situation didn't feel holy. It didn't feel good. And like Joseph, there are times in our lives where there is this yawning gap uh, between 
what we desired, what we worked for, what we hoped for, and then the reality of what actually occurs. And this gap between reality and desire or reality and our deeply held expectations can leave us feeling disappointed, uh, grieving, maybe even feeling betrayed. And I wonder, you know, if you live long enough, <laughs> it happens, if you can identify um, a time when you felt that disappointment between, uh, by that gap between the curving horizon line um, of your want or desire or expectation and that sharper edge of reality. You know, maybe it's your body that's disappointing you. It's just not acting like it used to. Doesn't feel like home anymore. Uh, maybe it's your extended family. You so want the Norman Rockwell Christmas card reality. And you actually kind of get nervous about Christmas dinner. Maybe it's a situation your kids are facing. You so longed and wanted to protect them from the suffering of life, but they're struggling. Maybe it's a church community or a community or, or a job or, you know, this can happen in just about every area of life. But whatever the case, you feel this, this disappointment in the storyline. And there's such a temptation to blame yourself or blame another person. Maybe feel a little bit ashamed or a little bit angry, or maybe you blame no one and you're like, it is what it is. I think our society has really attached success, nervous word, to outcome, right? Like if we achieve a desired outcome, we succeeded. Therefore, if you flip that around, when we don't achieve a desired outcome, we've failed. But actually, you got to tease those two apart, right? There's the, quote, success from the achievement of desire, because we can feel really sad and disappointed and feel grief when our desires are thwarted, but we can still feel proud of the way we showed up, right? And beautiful things can happen when we show up with love and grace and dignity and kindness. And Joseph illustrates this beautifully, right? I adore the story of Joseph, and I don't think he gets enough airtime. Joseph's original outcome for his marriage and family didn't come to pass the way he'd planned. But within the twists and the turns of his storyline, the way Joseph showed up for Mary and Jesus is something he could be proud of. We see his compassion for Mary, his desire to protect her dignity and her reputation, even when her pregnancy disappointed him. We see the, the fluidity and adaptability of his mind and heart as he listens to the angel and allows a new divine perspective, a new divine narrative to shape the way he saw things. We see his faith in God. He actually believed the angel and did what the angel said. We see the protection, his protector heart, how he wanted to take Mary in and adopt this child, giving them refuge. And we see all these qualities again when the angel comes and he uh, takes his family off to Egypt and they live as exiles. So I hope in the face of his neighbor's gossip that he held his head high, knowing that he had showed up 
this way. I hope he was proud of the choices he made to stand by Mary, because these choices were holy moments, moments when the desires and purposes of, of God were woven into human history because of the choice that he made. Ignatian spirituality teaches that when we are discerning the Christ light, or when we are discerning the way that Christ is inviting us to walk, the way that we're being beckoned to go, it's important to remember this, that in any discernment, in any decision, there's usually going to be a path that feels most comfortable. It's going to be easiest on the emotion. And then there's usually a path that seems most logical, most in keeping with whatever logical framework we're working with at the time, it's kind of easy on the mind. Then there's the way that's kind of harmful and, you know, quote, evil. And then there's the way of the Christ light, the way of walking towards the invitation of Jesus. And sometimes the way of Christ will be the way of comfort. And sometimes the way of the Christ light will be the way that seems logical. But sometimes the way of Christ, the invitation of Christ to you, will be neither comfortable nor logical. And those are the hardest discernments to make. And this is the discernment that Joseph made. He followed the Christ light. He chose well. Even though it was uncomfortable, even though it was against his religious sensibilities, Joseph took Jesus home, much like Mary took Jesus into her womb. And they raised him, and they gave him life, and they gave him sanctuary. I wonder if you have a story from somebody in your family tree, somebody who faced disappointment, maybe betrayal or grief, but showed up with courage and compassion, clarity or love. This is time when we're looking at the generations that have come before us, right? That's our Christmas tree chain and the way they passed on faith to us or the way they passed on values to us. My dad was an only child. Uh, his father went to war in Europe during World War II. And upon his return, he abandoned my dad and his mom for a nurse that had taken care of him in the war, leaving my grandmother impoverished. She worked in a factory she lived with different relatives in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Those relatives gave uh, her refuge, and she gave my father refuge. She didn't choose war. She didn't choose to be abandoned. She didn't choose to be poor. But in that difficult circumstances, she showed up as best she could, and she found a way to keep her little family together. And I am proud as her granddaughter, of the way she did that, how she made it possible for our family tree to keep going. And I think God's work gets woven into our families through the love we share, not through the success or perfection we managed to curate. We're also taught by our culture that success is obtaining a certain standard of living. But those standards are shaped by circumstances beyond our control, often. Market forces, pandemics, weather patterns, global conflict, community beliefs, the family of origin we come from, the class we're born into, our financial status, other people's actions. 
so much that's outside of our control. How cruel if we judge people by how they achieve those standards. The more important question isn't what standard of living we have, but the standards we choose to live our life by. What are your values? What are the ways you want to show up in the world? Each moment gives you the chance to practice them. And if you fail, it's okay. You get to start anew the next. There's no shame. We're all doing the best we can with what we know, and the card we've been dealt, and we all get to keep growing. So on this third week of Advent, as we light the candle of joy, I am inviting you today to hold your head high. I invite you to be proud of yourself. God can use your loaves and fishes. You've done the best you can with what you have. The offering of your life is a beautiful gift to your family tree. You are enough. Today, I celebrate the ways that you choose to show up with resolve, with courage, with compassion, with love and kindness in the midst of circumstances that aren't maybe what you had chosen. I celebrate the way you provide refuge. In these moments, in your life, the holy is getting worked into the world. David, would you come and pray for us at this time? Yeah, uh, with with thinking about Joseph and his choice to extend his uh, place in society to incorporate Mary, continue to have her in his life and to raise this child as his own. It is, it's a beautiful reminder of just how God shows up within the messiness of life not in spite of it, but that is the context that that Christ most often, I think, reveals his character and his um, presence for us. Um, it, it made me think of uh, being back in high school, actually, and when I was first realizing that I was gay, and the grief that I felt about in my mind at that time, never getting married and never have, being a parent. It was something that just sunk really, really deep inside of me because I knew that from all I could tell, that was going to be the truth. And the grace that I've experienced in life playing out very differently and being willing to keep pivoting with whatever life throws at you and following that, following that way of, of Christ when it's good, when it's hard, and there's a, a line or a thought that kind of orients me at, at times and, and has when you're making big commitments like, like Joseph did and like Mary did. What, what do you want to be spent for? What are you want to be poured out for? Because you only have so much energy to give and saying yes to these things. You don't know what you're actually saying yes to. 
You don't know what is going to come your way when you say yes to a relationship or to be a parent. It's saying yes to the ride of whatever, whatever that is. So in that saying that, um, I want to just give you a little bit of time between um, when I mention these different things to, to have a thought of what of people that, that extend themselves for the benefit of others that stretch themselves to make a place for others to grow and thrive. Um, so you can either in your own heart when I, well, you can say that, or if you want to share it out loud, that's fine too. Um, just as a way to reflect on being poured out for the benefit of others. Joseph chose to extend his care to Jesus as an adoptive parent and continued his relationship with Mary, likely at the expense of his own reputation. One of the most important choices we have to make is what is worth investing your life into. When we have chose a longer table to make room for others, knowing that there may be seasons that means less for us. As we pray together, turn your mind to pray for those who have and continue to stretch themselves and what they have for the benefit of others, bringing the kingdom of heaven more fully to earth.